you have your Christmas tree up at home? How many of you are going to go up like in the next three weeks? All right, so uh, the great, as people are walking back in, uh, live Christmas trees are fake. If you're a live Christmas tree, like say, give an in, we're in say amen. Good, that's just checking to make sure you guys know how to do it. All right, uh, and so if you're, if you're a fake Christmas treeer, like that's your jam, say, go ahead and say, I'm wrong. Oh, good, I love it, I love it, it's so good to hear. In our house, we actually have a fake tree, uh, and we have a fake tree because there was one year, um, so you guys know Jacob and Esau, the two brothers, you guys know that story? Uh, Esau trades what? He trades his birthright for like a pot, uh, bowl of, you guys remember? Stew, porridge, right? Like this thing. And so uh, I, I pulled one of those moments. I really wanted a new surfboard. And one came up for sale. This has nothing to do with the message, so don't try tying this in. Uh, and I really wanted a new surfboard. And so Kaylee Ann came to me in my moment of weakness. We're married. That's why she's the one saying it. And she goes, uh, hey, if you get a new surfboard this year, that's cool, uh, but that means we always get to have a fake tree. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I got the surfboard, and now every year I'm like, are we going to show Grace this year? Can I get a fake one? But she's like, well, with all the money we're going to save not buying live trees every year, you can totally have a surfboard. Um, and so our tree is plastic, and... I bought a piece of fiberglass that lasted for a little while. So uh, that's what happened to me. But uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 40 tonight. That's the part we're actually going to be talking about. Isaiah 40. Just get it out of the way early. <laughs> Isaiah 40. Advent week two is where we're going to be. I'm going to read Isaiah 40 one time through. We're going to talk a little bit, then I'm going to read it a second time. Uh, verses 1 through 11 say this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hand, hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And in their, faithless, in their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But because the breath of the Lord blows on them, surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign God comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Some of the questions I want us to consider as we step into Advent this year is, do you ever feel burned out, defeated, deflated, discouraged, disappointed, hurt, lonely, left out, misunderstood, misrepresented? Then I've got some really good news for you tonight. Tonight we're going to see from Isaiah 40 that God is a God of comfort. God is a God of comfort. 
That Advent is meant to cultivate a steady spirit in us, even as we face the discomfort of a deeply wounded world. But before we get into that, we have to face some of the uncomfortable realities. And to do that, uh, we're going to jump in with a question in a second, but let me pray. Jesus, thank you again for gathering us together. Uh, We as a family don't want to take that lightly because there's many who are unable to. And so we think of our family that can't gather with us tonight. Uh, We ask for your healing on those that are sick, your encouragement for those that are feeling pretty discouraged. Uh, God, as we gather, we can be in some of those same places as well. And so uh, would you comfort those who are afflicted? But we also pray the flip side of that, that you would afflict those of us that are maybe a little too comfortable. And may we all see Jesus a bit more clearly tonight so we can enjoy you and take up our role in your story. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit who is here with us. Amen. Amen. So we're going to ask our first question. Uh, Kids, this one's for you, and so I want you to gather together with your adults that are around you, preferably the ones that brought you would be a good idea. Um, And so here's a question. When do you need comfort? So think in life. Adults, you get to answer this too, and so you can help the kids get there uh, and process this. But, But when is times in your life, these words of Isaiah started off with comfort, comfort my people, right? He doubles up on that, which usually when the prophet doubles down, he wants to make it clear that you're paying attention. He doesn't stutter. The guy didn't write it twice, but he's drawing you in to say comfort. And then you kind of look up and he's like, comfort my people with these words. And so when in your life, turn to, you're going to turn to adults and then I'm going to give you a chance to answer. Uh, When do you need comfort? When do you need comfort? It should be good to go. Hello? Oh, this is, I can barely hear it. Everybody else can. You're good. Just go ahead and talk into it. Oh, okay. Uh, I need comfort when I'm going through hard times. When you're going through a hard time. That's a really good answer. Thanks, Owen. Uh, we moved into a new house, and um, it was really messy, so we needed to, like, do some stuff, and my dad works on it, like, every day. So after, like, when he's done, I like to have some comfort. After dad works. I need comfort when I'm sad. When you're sad, yes. Such a good answer. I need comfort when I'm angry or sad. Mm, angry or sad, I like it. Yes, very good answers, Ken. When I'm angry, I need comfort. When you're angry, you need comfort, yeah. I hope you did that on purpose, Keller. Hope mom and dad coached you on that one. (laughs) I need comfort when I'm angry. When you're angry, yes. Thank you guys so much for answering that question. Oh, does anybody need comfort when they're disappointed? Yeah? Grown-ups, you can answer your hands, too. All right, there we go. Or when I'm a fear, afraid, or when I'm lonely, or there's all different times. And so hear, hear this. When I'm angry, when I'm sad, when I'm... All those things, they really matter. Uh, God sees the way that we feel, and he does enter into those things. And so we can feel... Um, we live in a deeply wounded world, don't we? 
Like we live in a world that is very disappointed. There's so much beauty in the world, absolutely. So nothing I'm about to say is gonna say that the world is not beautiful, that there's not creation good, that there's not good things taking place in our lives and through us. But hear this, especially this year, uh, though in pockets of our life, let's be honest, Every year that we look back on, there have been massive disappointments, massive times when we felt sad or wounded or hurt and felt unsettled in our hearts. We are in a culture, so catch this, we're in a culture that's very, very wounded, very, very disappointed, and has no idea how to fix itself. We're in a culture that is aware of the sickness, but no clue of a cure. And if we did figure it out, we'd probably be too busy to work it out in our own lives. And so what we tend to do is just grab everything that's on the shelf to try to make ourselves feel better. And just as disastrous as that would be if we did it in our medicine cabinet, it's just as damaging to our own hearts. Many of the cures that we look to to deal with our loneliness or our anger or our sadness or our disappointment actually are destroying us as quickly as the disease. Uh, We are people desperately in need of a God who brings comfort. And that's, that's part of the good news of Christmas is that Jesus brings comfort. Part of what we look at in Advent is that Jesus is the one who consoles and makes right and heals that which is broken in us and in creation. And so I mean this, Christmas points us that direction with massive neon blinking lights. Like this is the big neon sign that says, hey, look, God is a God who sees wounds, sees disappointment, sees sadness, sees anger, sees isolation, and he steps in to bring comfort in that place. And I know often Christmas looks like a shiny holiday with lots of tinsel. Even our, uh, what are those plants over there? What are they? Poinsettias. The poinsettias on your way by, check them out. They're even bedazzled. Like they have glitter on the poinsettia. Like that's next level Christmas, isn't it? And so Christmas is usually spectacular, shiny, bright lights, happy people, big smiles, bold colors. But that first Christmas was much grittier than that. It's one that people like you and me might find a much better home in. It's for those that feel lonely, lost, disappointed, discouraged. For those of us that wrestle with diseases or addictions and pain. Advent's always meant to be a signpost pointing us forward pointing us forward to something that's beyond this creation, the creator who made us. But when we get in those places, when we feel those ways, we don't always turn to the right solutions. We don't always turn to the right places to find comfort. And so here's the second question that I'm going to give you. And I I would love for grownups, you're going to answer this one in the same way the kids just did. But I'm going to give you a few minutes to turn to each other and answer this. What are some of the things that we tend to turn to for comfort? So those things that the kids just said, right, when they feel sad or angry or disappointed, I threw that in there, or any of those other words that you filled in when you said, when do I need comfort? What are some of the things that you turn to for comfort? And if you're already feeling judged because of what the picture is, take a deep breath. This isn't to make you feel like guilty and shameful. We're going to get there, but got to put something for the background, don't you? So go ahead, turn towards each other. What are some of the things that we tend to turn to? For comfort. And then I'll pull us back in just two, three minutes to get some of those answers out there. They can be positive or they can be negative. Gil. And Jay's going to go around again, uh, this time grownups, and you don't have to give him as much of a workout. I know, did you just check your heart rate to see what it is at? Oh, okay. He's checking his steps. So we're trying to boost his steps for him. So he's keeping track of his steps. So we love you. 
Uh, Grownups, what are some of the things that you came up with? What were some of the things that we, you can turn to tend to for comfort? Uh, good, bad? It's your answer. So go ahead and throw your hand up, and Jay will get you the mic. Grownups. Well, we've, we just realized we were supposed to give positive things also. We only said negative. <laughs> Go for it. But uh, it, a phrase we used was anything that thinks for us. So Netflix, YouTube videos, that it's technically, you can kind of feel like you're doing something, but it's, your brain can be on autopilot because it's doing the consciousness for you. You don't really have to be conscious. Yeah. Something like that. Something that'll do the thinking for you. Yeah, teenagers, uh, they say spend, this is before school started, six hours and 40 minutes in front of a screen. That was before school was online. So this is the average across America, six hours and 40 minutes before school went online. And then uh, parents want to be like, yeah, get it. Uh, parents spend an average of 11, uh, adults, sorry. Adults spend 11 hours in front of a screen or listening to content or having something say something to them that's not work-related. So while you work and listen to a podcast, while you work and listen to an Audible, right, when you're watching YouTube or have Netflix on in the background or directly just watching it, 11 hours, that's half of a day. Something that will just numb out the noise. No, I won't have to think, like, just let it go. Or I don't want to be thinking about where my mind's going, and so I need this on while I work. 11. I was ready to punk the teenagers, right? And then they get to the grown-ups, and you're like, oh, or scrolling through Instagram, whatever it is. Yeah, go ahead. We tend to like things that think for us. What else? Maybe two more. Food. Food. Yeah. How we use calories or restrict them to lead to our comfort, yeah. Brittany. Um, what I was thinking of just now was um, like, any kind of experience, I think, um, and that probably could go in positive or negative, depending on if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit or not. But um, when it goes negative, it's more of like, how can I change what's happening around me to make me feel differently instead of maybe um, going to God or looking in relationships or community. So That's good. Thank you. Uh, one of these, a few of the other things, I'm just going to list through them. Um, uh, one, purchasing stuff. Purchasing stuff to comfort ourselves because dopamine gets released when we buy stuff. And here's the deal. Uh, Black Friday has, in our lifetime, switched from being something that was where you go and buy a gift for others to how you treat yourself. In fact, there's a category that they're tracking now for people's personal income that would say, in America, 22% of people's income goes towards treating themselves on things now. So what used to go towards saving now goes towards hashtag treat yourself and you can get what you want. And so Black Friday actually is more marketed now, less towards the Christmas gifts that you're going to give, but the stuff that you wanted during the year that you never picked up and it's aimed all the marketing. If you track this next year, watch the ads, they're far less about what you give to others. That's what they used to be uh, back maybe a decade ago. And now they're all, what can you get for your house that you've been waiting for that you deserve? It's shifted from what we give towards others to what we can receive because we love to purchase, to validate ourselves. Uh, relationships we can turn to, romantic or otherwise. Entertainment, we hit on that. Uh, social media, like we are the first generation to turn towards social media as a way of this voyeurism to say, my life's uncomfortable, I don't like the moment I'm in, what can I do? Look down, start scrolling. And here's the deal, looking into other people's lives will never comfort you, never. Like, like, like it can't do that. It's like eating a tub of ice cream and saying, that's how I'm going to get in shape. Like, it, it, it is something, 
And it's okay in moderation, but that cannot be your steady diet. But that's what takes place when we look at that and say, all right, I just need to feel better. I just want to check out. And then you look at everybody else's perfectly curated lives. Uh, some of us go towards calories, like Jay said, or work. We can bury ourselves in there because at least there I know what I'm doing. And then when I get home, I feel completely uncomfortable, chaotic with kids and a spouse. I don't know what I'm doing. So let me go towards work and just bury myself there because it's far more comfortable. Or maybe even religion. And this is a big one. Uh, many people say, I've tried religion, but they actually haven't worshiped Jesus. And here's what happened. I feel uncomfortable. I feel unsettled. I feel like there's a God out there somewhere that maybe I've offended it somewhere along the way. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some things, find a, find a method, a thing I do, and maybe even through a church to make myself feel better, like, I, like I've earned a little bit more in that column. And so I'm going to earn my comfort. Like I feel disgruntled. I feel disappointed. I feel a little bit fearful, like maybe God's out there. And so here's the things I'm going to do in order to appease that God. And it's an unsettling in our soul that makes us go and do religious things, but not give ourselves over to the one who's inviting us to a new life. And you can start observing the way of Jesus, but entirely miss the person of Jesus. And you won't do that long without growing prideful or resentful. Uh, the good news is that Jesus, right, has accomplished everything that we needed for salvation. And then he invited us into fellowship with him in his kingdom and then releases us out to live that life. But we don't earn anything and we don't adhere to some religious ideas or ideals. And then that's what make, gives us comfort in God's presence. But actually the kingdom of God has come and that's what gives us comfort, that Jesus himself actually comes and rescues and gives his spirit who works that comfort out in us. Like he takes what's dis disgruntled or unsettled or disappointed, and he stands in that place with us. But so often, and this is for followers of Jesus and those who don't, but I'll talk to us as followers of Jesus, we still want to grip on those other things. So check this out. I found this bad, but this sounds awful because it's like an old movie reel going through. And so have you guys seen these traps? This is how to catch a monkey in case you care. How to Catch a Monkey 101. So what you do, you throw some rice or some fruit in the middle of this jar that little monkey's hand can slide into. And as little monkey slides his hand in there, he grips onto whatever's in there that he wants. And so that thing that he thinks will bring him satisfaction, joy, comfort, right? Like that food, that's what he wanted. He will grip in there, but with a closed fist, he cannot get back out. With a closed fist, it's impossible for him to get back out. And so he is a very simple trap laid. Is here something that you think will satisfy you, that will bring you comfort, that will give you joy, right? This is what I really want. This relationship, this car, this house, this job, this spouse, these kids, better behaving kids, whatever it is, gift, this thing that I bought on Good Friday. And I'm going to grip it with everything I have because that will finally and fully make me whole and bring me satisfaction. And then I will feel comfortable for everything that's distorted and disrupted inside of me. That will give it to me, right? And it does for a second. You grasp it. But then you end up like little Mr. Monkey, completely trapped by that thing. Trapped, ensnared, not realizing that all you have to do is let go, right? And this is something for us. I don't wanna shame us by saying, hey, look, we watch way too much Netflix because we, we're too distracted with life. Like, you don't like the life you're living and rather than doing work in that life and the real work that really needs to be done, we turn towards watching other things that think for us. The point of that isn't to shame us, it's to say that we can actually let go of that. Or food as we eat that and just consume calories to make me feel better, to realize that like, we can let go of that. 
And it might take some work, but Jesus came to bring comfort to deeply disturbed and hurted and disappointing people. And so we're going to move towards that good news. Isaiah 40, if you have a Bible, go ahead and keep that open because we're going to be in there for a little while. In our Western world, we're told that, hey, just do whatever works for you, though. That whole thing, just grab onto it. But here's the deal. Holding onto those things to give you comfort for what actually is plaguing your soul will not work. And so I can say you do you, just grip onto that, but you will forever stay unsatisfied. And I want something better for us. I want us to be able to actually enjoy God who approaches us, who comes to us in beauty. And so we're going to work back through these same verses. And what I'd love for you to do is just spend some time meditating on them as I read them. Uh, They'll be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, feel free to look at it as well. Isaiah 40, the prophet is calling out to people who are deeply disappointed. They've had their entire lives disrupted. They've been looking forward to the day when God would come back to make things right. And the prophet speaks to him, Isaiah, and just says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God is a personal God who can be referenced in relationship to his people. This is your God. This is not a God. This is not an abstract idea. This is not just some deity out there floating in space, but your God, the one who has rescued you, that brought you out of Egypt, the one that set you on new paths of life and freedom. That God says, comfort, comfort, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. She had been exiled. He's saying, that's, that's done. Like, I will forgive that. And then these verses in verses three on down, uh, do they remind you of any verses you've heard anywhere else before? A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. Does that remind you of any other places in scripture? John, John the baptizer, right? So the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in the beginning of the gospels, we see Jesus' cousin is the one who they say is a voice crying in the wilderness. This is one of those tests that, that points us forward to Jesus, that there's gonna be a day coming when there will be a straight, seamless, smooth path for him made in the wilderness. And I know a lot of times we're like, well, that's kind of weird language. Just imagine this, before you had, imagine what it took to make a roads before you had earth movers. Like, think about that. When you drive down the road and you see him fixing up the 101 and, you see, and you're like really disappointed and you're like, man, how much time does this take? Like, you're trying to get down uh, the, you know, the 60, the 101, whichever one it is. They're always doing construction on one of them, right? And so you're like, look how long it takes to make this road straight so something can drive on it. Imagine that before it was earth movers. Like, imagine trying to get through the mountains and they're doing that work. You're like, oh my goodness, that is gonna take forever. And he's saying, no, 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 with a voice, It's going to be cried out, and the way for God will be made there. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. And he's saying the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. Here's a beauty saying, like, there's going to be a day coming when, when God's glory will be seen by all people, not just Israel, but by all the nations. And Jesus is the one through whom that's going to take place. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We watched through The Mandalorian, so you're welcome. Um, and I can use an illustration from there. There's this dude in season one. And after he talks, he says, what does he say? I've spoken. That was like a catchphrase around our house for like two weeks, and the kids got tired of it. I was like, you wanted me to watch Star Wars with you. So this is what happens is I start quoting it. And so whenever I said something, I thought that was good enough for the answer. I would just say, I've spoken. And they're like, oh, that's from the TV that I made you watch. And so now it's there. But the idea is that when God says it, that's certain. That's it. That's what it is. That's locked in. So when we 
find ourselves wondering, all right, God, are you for sure coming through on this? I uh, hear the voice of God saying, I have spoken. I will absolutely do what I said I would do. The next, the voice says, cry out. And so they, the guy says, what am I going to cry? And he says, all people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely people are like grass. And you're like, oh no. Like we hear that and we're like, oh, nifty passage. Like God's, he just said like the grass withers because God speaks on it. And here goes God, he's gonna be the one talking to us. How's he gonna treat us? Like I know he said he forgave us, but, but how is he gonna treat us? What's his posture towards us? The grass withers and the flowers fall. But hear this again, the word of our God endures forever. When you read the word of the God, here his promises are true. Here, there is nothing that will dissuade his promises. There's nothing that can prevent his promises from coming true. And here's the deal. These people had hundreds of years of other stories saying like, that's not really gonna happen. You're not really gonna be rescued. You should probably take this into your own hands. You should probably turn to another God who could save you a whole lot quicker. When Israel's hearing this, They've got all these ways that they can be turned back. And, and the prophet's crying out, no, no, no. Remember, the word of God stands forever. Sometimes this verse gets used to tell you that the Bible's true. Uh, that's not the first take on this verse. This verse is talking about something else, though the Bible is also true. So, uh, but just don't work that way. That's not the main point of this verse. Uh, you who bring good news, so good news. Think, what's another word for good news? Gospel. You bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain so you can shout it loud. You with good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout and say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And hear this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He carries the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The most vulnerable there he leads with safety and security. And so we say like, all right, God, you're a God of comfort, but what does that mean? Uh, there's two sides to this comfort and, I, and we need to see both of them. The first is his power or his strength. Like it doesn't do a lot of good for you to be like, yo, I'm gonna come alongside you and comfort you, but you're not strong enough to do anything. Like that's not very comforting, is it? Like if we're gonna go to war and I'm like, yo, don't worry guys, you can follow me there. You'd be like, might follow you somewhere else. Battle might not be the place. You don't have a whole lot of experience there. Uh, we played ball growing up. And so whenever we played basketball all through high school, there was, there was one guy that you wanted to have on your team because Georgie didn't lose. Like, like Georgie knew how to play ball. And so aside from his name, uh, whatever, um, Georgie could play ball. And so if you, were on, if you got on Georgie's team, the answer wasn't like, hey, how long uh, are we going to get to stay on the court this time? Because when you lose, they kick you off the court and only winners get to stay on the court. At least that's how we used to do it. Um, I'm not sure what they do today. Like everybody gets awards and everybody probably gets a fair turn to play. In the, in the park though, where we played, you only stayed on the court if you won. And so when Georgie was on your team, you had the ability, the question was how long until he gets tired? And then we have to get off the court. But you knew you'd be playing for a while because he had the ability to keep you on the court even if you had an off day. And so when we look at even this picture of God, the idea that he's coming in power. And so he says, hey, you can be comforted because I am strong enough to keep you safe. But then you're like, ah, but is he just this kind of overlord, this massive being in the sky who comes down to crush all those? No. The imagery that comes is like one of a shepherd caring gently for those that are with him. 
And so you say, I've been disappointed, I've been discouraged, I've been left alone in the past. Like, God comes in and says, that's not how I lead, that's not how I love, that's not how I bring comfort. Yes, I have strength, and so you can trust me that I can actually do what I said I would do. But as I lead you, it's as a shepherd, one who comes along and guides their flock because they care for them. And he makes the point of saying, especially like those that have young, because those are the most vulnerable in the flock. And he says, the most vulnerable of you, the most disappointed, the most dejected, the most lonely, the most left out, those that are on the margins and and feel most vulnerable, you are the one that I've especially come for and come in. And we see that beautifully throughout the picture and the life of Jesus, don't we? That he comes along and he says, I am the good shepherd. I'll lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is born in a manger, the lowest of places. And he comes into this world and lives a life of obscurity for 30 years until he steps on the scene and begins to show that the kingdom of God is really here. John announces it. He's the voice crying in the wilderness that they were looking forward to. And the message was one to be of comfort for Israel. Your God is now here and he's here in Jesus. And that's what we looked forward to in Advent. We look back at the moment where Jesus came the first time to bring comfort. But those of us that stand on this side of history, we also look forward to the day when he will return and bring ultimate comfort. Revelation says no more sickness, sadness, disease, death. The tears will be wiped from every eye and a final victory will be won over evil. And that's the invitation that we have to be people who live lives that are, that are comforted first by God himself through Jesus. Like that's our first flinch, our first turn. Doesn't have to be to Netflix or to food or to random friends to be like, maybe you'll tell me and give me what I need. But our first flinch can be to a God who comes alongside us tenderly like a shepherd. Like one whose job is to give care. One who looks and sees the most vulnerable in any crew and goes alongside them to bring them close. And so this Advent, if that's where you're feeling, is especially disappointed or dejected, this Advent is especially for you. Jesus is a God who sees and brings both his power and his presence give comfort. And so as we're sent out, we do it as a community of comfort in a world of despair. Because here's the beauty, right? It's not just meant to end on us, that we feel comforted, and so we feel good. Like we feel comforted, and then we're like settled. But the idea is that we then, as people who have been comforted by God, go out and offer that as the body of Christ to others. And we see a beautiful picture. If you want to make a note, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul does a beautiful job inviting that church to experience the comfort of God, and then go out and comfort others because there is a lot of brokenness and hurt and pain in this world. And Jesus has literally sent us as his body, filled with his spirit, to be people who have experienced that comfort, who then extend it to others, who to extend it to each other when we're feeling disjointed and disappointed. That we don't have to just say, oh, it's okay, you're having a bad day, or you're having a bad year, or you're having a bad life. Like, all those pieces are true but we can actually point one another back to God and say, look, his promises are true. The same God who is powerful and present in Jesus, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's still with us in power and bringing his presence. And so as we get sent out, 
I wonder if we think about people that we know already that could use the comfort of God. One of the, the downsides is when we talk about this and then just have it like, yeah, that's good, that's good, nod your head and then never extend it to others. And so just make a note if you're taking notes or uh, make a mental note as you're thinking through it and be like, man, if I have been comforted in this way, do I, do I believe that to be true about God? And if you don't, here's the deal. You don't have to argue with me. God can hear your prayers, take it to him and say, God, I, I'm wrestling through this with you. He'll answer you. But then as you do that, turn towards uh, and experience the good news of the gospel that God is very present in Jesus. And then look at, ask the question, what does it look like to extend that to others? This is never meant to just stop on us, but always to be given to others in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we're sent. And so our great hope is that as sure as there was a baby laying in a manger, there is a king coming one day in the clouds. The first advent warms our heart to the reality that God is still relentlessly and personally pursuing his creation. And he will not be deterred or subverted and will one day announce the good news, I am making all things new. And hear this with the same certainty of I have spoken that echoes throughout the Old Testament. Let's grip on that for today and find comfort that the God of all power is very present with us at work even today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, uh, we gather together as your family in these final moments. Uh, we'll be coming around the table, and so we ask that you would meet us in that place. As we come as sisters and brothers, we ask that you meet us. Remind us of your grace that comforts even our deepest disappointments. God, your love that covers our shame, your healing that covers our wounds. Oh God, would we be able to see you are one who never disappoints. You always come through on what you've said. In all of recorded history, you have yet to go back on a promise. And would we take comfort in that? In a year that uh, has brought a lot of change, a lot of disappointment, a lot of hurt, a lot of confusion, in the midst of those emotions and feeling them, would we find our hearts filled with courage again because you are a God who is present and powerful and doing exactly what you said you would. We love you, and we're glad that you meet here with us. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit, amen.